Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Pittsburgh Steeler fans, it is time once again for another edition of the Curtain Call podcast. My name is Michael Beck, deputy editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, and I'm joined as, by all, by always, Jeffrey Benedict, uh, film guru extraordinaire, laughing at me for my, my early flub. <laughs> Jeffrey, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, Mike. Mike, I'm having a... <laughs> sure, I messed up your name. There we go. We're even... Uh, great show tonight. Um, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, nothing but the best here at BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. But uh, <laughs> we have a special guest with us uh, as uh, we break down the Steelers draft. Tonight we have Jeff Tarpley from 24-7 Sports joining us to uh, break down the two players from Texas A&M. Jeff, how are you doing? Doing great, guys. How are y'all doing tonight? Oh, just wonderful. Um, I guess just getting right into the action here to uh, really kind of look at uh, left tackle Dan Moore first. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about his game and uh, how he is a, as a player? Well, you know, both of these guys are really inter- interesting stories because you're talking about a couple of three-star players from a recruiting class, at least by A&M standards and Jimbo Fisher standards, that wasn't the most highly rated at the time when they all signed. And in fact, though, this class went on to drive the Aggies to uh, their their highest postseason finish since the national championship team of 1939. Moore was a three-star coming, start with him, Moore was a three-star coming out of high school. He was actually rated as a guard coming out of high school. And Everybody knew he kind of needed some work, and that was, you know, for most guys of his ilk, it's like, hey, maybe you got to shed some pounds, maybe you got to bulk up a little bit, develop some foot quickness, that type of thing. He worked really, really hard in the summer prior to 
enrolling at AM. And as a result, when he got to fall camp, he was in much, much better condition and much slimmer than he had been when he arrived in College Station. As a result, instead of being maybe the project that everybody thought he would be, that, hey, look, we got to you know, take a redshirt year. We've got to develop this guy's technique. We've got to have him learn the college game. We've got to reshape his body. He stepped in and became a backup right away. And not only that, he became a backup at, at offensive tackle. And at the time, A&M had guards on its roster. They, what they really lacked was tackles. And so they were able to slide him outside. He actually started a game as a freshman at right tackle. And, but he was basically the backup left tackle for most of the season. Uh, eventually, the guy in front of him, Coda Martin, moved on to Syracuse. Uh, Dan moved into the starting lineup as a sophomore, was a three-year starter. And, and I think you'll see th this with both him and Buddy Johnson. They're great guys, and they have a great work ethic. And they got, you know, we, we talk about guys, how they just kind of plateau maybe, they never get better. These two guys definitely got better during their time in College Station, even though they didn't always have the same – coaching staff. Jimbo Fisher didn't come in until both of them were into their second year at A&M. Uh, Dan Moore went through, uh, actually both of them went through a couple of position coaches. So for Moore, at least, he, he steps into the starting lineup and he, you know, at the time he wasn't the quickest guy foot. He hasn't, he hadn't played on the edge uh, necessarily like a lot of guys his age had. Uh, he had a tough go of it, especially when you look at the defensive linemen that came out of the SEC during the 2018 and 2019 seasons. I mean, it was a bunch of first-round draft picks, all SEC guys, and the SEC is the type of league where while everybody kind of gives the attention to Alabama, I mean, I mean, you know, there's schools like Mississippi State, for example, that aren't recognized programs, but nonetheless – they still crank out a ton of talent. So Dan had to face the best of the best during his three years. Well, by his senior year for him, he had not only gotten better from a technical standpoint, he had gotten more confidence in his game, but he also wasn't facing necessarily the, you know, just first rounder after first rounder after first rounder like he did during his first three years on campus. He's, he's bigger than the guys he's facing. He's more experienced. His pass sets is, have improved. You'll notice as, if you watch him over time, his pass sets, they get a little shallower. He's able to get out with his kick step a little bit better. Uh, he's, he's able to anchor. He doesn't give away as much of his chest as he did when he was when he, earlier in his career. Hand usage got better. He really worked hard at his craft, and so as a result – You've got a guy that everybody, especially when he's a sophomore, was like, hey, why don't we switch Carson Green, who's the right tackle, with Dan Moore? Because Carson Green had more length, probably had better footwork, and everybody's like, well, why are they playing one guy on, on you know, the better pass blocker on the right side and then the better run blocker uh, ostensibly on the left side? Well, by the time they were seniors, uh, Dan Moore is the one that winds up getting drafted. He had the better senior bowl, and that's not a knock necessarily on anything that Carson Green did. But nonetheless, Moore was just stronger. He understood 
how to position himself better, used his hands better. Again, he he played with better leverage. He didn't sets were better. He set up quicker. All those things. And so by the time he's a senior, he's not only an SEC, all SEC caliber guy, but all of a sudden he's someone that you're talking about as a possible NFL draft pick. And to be honest with you, not everybody projected him as an NFL draft pick a couple of years prior to that, or if they did, they projected him as a guard. So for Dan Moore to be able to do what he did, come to College Station, come to A&M, improve like he did, to play the left side in the toughest conference in, in, in all of college football and to become an all-SEC caliber player as well as a mid-round draft pick, I really think that says a lot about him. Yeah, he uh, you say he's he's grown a lot in his footwork and his development and everything. Um, what is his biggest thing that you look at now and say when he heads to the NFL – uh, to play tackle in the NFL, what does he need, still need to work on the most, would you think? I, I still think he probably needs to work on the lateral movement. I, you know, Even before the draft, there's people talking about him as a versatile player, someone who can play on the interior as well as on the edge. And I think that stems from the fact that not everybody trusts his, his, his agility as much as they would like to. Uh, you know, I, I think they kind of see the struggles that he had to an extent when he was a younger player. Uh, he, he's going to have to get acclimated. All the guys that left are going to be waiting for him now in the NFL. So he's going to have to kind of get ready to deal with some of those guys all over again. However, if he can do that, you've got a guy that's going to continue to work to get more agile, to work on that kick step, to work on getting those hands up, to work on getting position, to make sure he doesn't give away uh, the interior so that he loses leverage, uh, all those kinds of things. One of the things that, you know, one of his advantages in the fact that he did play in a West Coast pro style type of offense where he's having to, he's, he's having to make blocks in an intermediate passing game, which with the spread, you're not necessarily having to do that on a lot of teams. It's, it, it, the, the routes are, are different. And although A&M runs spread concepts, they run air raid concepts, they, you know, Kellen Mond threw a lot of intermediate routes last year. And those routes take time to develop, and they take time to – you have to hold your blocks in those instances. And so guys like Dan Moore in this, in AM's offensive line last year developed from the standpoint that they, you know, they, they, they learned the patience of not giving every, everything away right at the snap to be able to have confidence in what they were doing, make the other guy work for what he's got to be able to do to get around and not give up the inside uh, use their physicality. And so he's going to have to take some time to do all that. And maybe his best position is on the interior. That's one of the things we're going to have to wait and see. But I think from, from his standpoint, he's, he may not be ready to go right out of the box, but he's certainly a guy who you can see working his way into the depth chart early on as a fourth-round pick and maybe someone who eventually moves into that starting lineup, not necessarily at that left tackle spot, but certainly at least on the interior. 
One of the things the Pittsburgh Steelers really needed to work on this offseason, something that even uh, the owners uh, specifically says they need to fix the rushing attack. Uh, the new system that's kind of being implemented, you, you can kind of hear from some of the language from some of the players that it's hyper aggressive and they want to get after blocks and uh, play more smash mouth Steelers type uh, brand of football. Um, is Dan Moore someone who's a, aggressive in the run game, someone that is just a, a nasty run blocker? A&M was a big time inside zone team last year. And that meant that not only were, you know, I think zone blocking kind of denotes uh, maybe finesse with that term because you're thinking about drive blocks, you're thinking about man blocks versus zone blocks. But the way AM did things, the inside zone really made that offense go last year. They talk about how good that offensive line was. Uh, they led the SEC in, in rushing average, for example. That was because they were able to double team defensive linemen. They were able not, you know, most of the time what you're wanting to do with those combo blocks is you're wanting to get someone off of the, off of the uh, first level defender and get them to that second level defender, to the linebacker. And with A&M, it was more of a case of, no, we're going to come off the ball. We're going to come off of it hard. We're going to double team you. We're going to double team you into the second level. We're not going to necessarily have to work our way to the second level. And so what that meant was you had, let's say, center, center combo, excuse me, center guard blocks where they're moving a nose and they're moving him, and it's very, very difficult for that second-level player to get there. Well, then you've got the offensive tackle, a guy like Dan Moore being able to come off the ball, out-position the defensive end, get to the second level of the linebacker, out-position to the defensive end, get those feet turned, get after that defensive end, turn them, and be able to make that running game go. It was a very, very physical offensive line for last year for a in that regard. Another thing they did really well was, was counter. And especially did uh, they did the pull, you know, they would pull two guys from the opposite side of the formation. Most of the time involved tied in, but they also would pull a guard. They would pull a tackle like Dan Moore. Those guys really learned to, the guys that weren't pulling learned to, sealed their blocks, dominate the line of scrimmage, or at least stalemate it. So the footwork on the pulling guys behind them, they could stay on track and and block the right guys. And that was another thing, too, as far as Dan Moore and, and, and everybody else from A&M last year. They did a really good job of targeting, pe- targeting people. In fact, they did a really good job of that even uh, back when Moore was a sophomore and a junior. They, they didn't make uh, – they made mistakes, but they learned from their mistakes. And in 2020, they really didn't make a whole lot of them. I think they also led the SEC in tackles for loss a lot. Usually you're turning the wrong guy loose. You're, you're blowing a block, that kind of thing. These guys didn't do that. Again, Dan Moore playing the hardest position uh, on the offensive line in the hardest conference in America. And he's not only able to drive people off the football with the, in the run game, but he's also able to – check them in the passing game and give a lot of security to Kellen Mond uh, who played for AM on the left side and keep in mind something else too. AM only allowed three, four sacks all season. They led the sec in sacks allowed. They did that because, and they did that and way it benefited Kellen Mond was Kellen Mond was used to kind of getting pressure uh, is, is 2018, 2019 and AM. 
kind of caused some questions about him going into the 2020 season. He answered, answered those in spades because he was able to get the type of protection that he'd always lacked. Dan Moore was a big part of that on that left side of that AM line. They didn't make any mistakes. They knew how to pick up blitzes and stunts. And as a result, Dan Moore, even again, even if he doesn't make it as a as a tackle, you're talking about a guy who's used to doing all those things and used to dealing with pro style terminology to be able to pick up on things kind of quickly so that when they run a stunt, they run a blitz, he's he's got the right guy in hand. Now you mentioned uh pulling different linemen. Uh did Texas A&M pull Dan Moore much? Did he show much? Uh, I know you said he's his lateral agility probably needs to be worked on, but but in positions where he's uh, either pulling or up at the second level, or you know like extending the play, blocking, uh, is he is he mobile in that way? Is he a good guy that they could that they could pull out and and use like at, even in screen games stuff like that? Like how does how does he do when he's outside of the line uh, moving around? You know, he was really good. A&M ran a lot more of what you would call a traditional screen back when he was a sophomore. They kind of got away from that uh, in 2018, excuse me, 2019 and 2020. But he was really good at that. Uh, and for a guy who, you know, hey, everybody's like, well, you know, maybe he doesn't, he's, he's not the fleetest guy in the world. He understood where he needed to be, and there wasn't a lot of wasted motion with him. And it was the same kind of thing. On the it, when he pulled, as there was in the screen game, you're talking about a guy who knew exactly how to step. I, I was an offensive lineman way, way back in the day, exactly how to pull, step back, not step too far back, be able to maneuver. You know, if there's any traffic, maybe somebody gets pull, pushed back, stay on course, get to where they need to go outside, you know, out, outside of that, uh, outside of the B gap. And, and know who they, you know, somebody, you know, somebody's pulled ahead of them, who to pick up in terms of the first defender outside, second defender outside, where they're expecting that guy to be at, how to knock them out of the gap, how to turn up field and, and push them back to the inside to create those running lanes. So, yes, again, he's not the most athletic guy when he pulls, but he's a guy that really is able to get the job done because he understands where he needs to be and how to get there. To flip over to uh, Buddy Johnson here, um, could you tell us a little bit about uh, the middle linebacker and uh, how he kind of uh, he played in the center of that defense and kind of led that unit to, as a member of uh, Texas A&M? Well, Buddy's a fascinating story because he didn't arrive at A&M as, a, as anything resembling a Mike linebacker. Uh, when he signed with AM, he's only about 200 pounds. In fact, in high school, he played quarterback, he played running back, he played, I think he played some linebacker, I think he played in the secondary. He was kind of all over the place. He, 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 he had good speed, he had good size for that classification of ball. He played uh, down at, uh, down in uh, high school ball down in Dallas. And so he was able to play a multitude of positions, but everybody said, hey, look, when you when you get to college, you're a guy that's probably going to have to play linebacker. So he gets to college, and A&M is freshman year. They stick him at the SAM, which really these days, the SAM is kind of a holdover from someone, again, and this is dating myself, way back in the ancient days of football, you lined up, you know, you lined up over the tight end, and, and 
you kind of dealt with those guys, strong side of the formation. Well, the Sam's kind of gone by the wayside because everybody tends to use maybe an eight, you know, they'll play a tight end on the line of scrimmage. Uh, but now these days they'll play an H back to play a slot in place of a, you know, traditional 21 or, or 12 personnel look. So he was a Sam linebacker and he actually gained weight. He actually showed up at AM heavier than what he was on signing day. AM's like, hey, look, this is great. Let's stick him at the Sam. He's got, you know, they could play him in space in John Chavis's 4 3 look that they used back in 2017 when he got to campus. Uh, he was very functional there. He played in 11 games. I think he actually was in the starting lineup for a couple. Uh, he's someone that impressed everybody with the fact that, hey, he's smart, he's dedicated, he can run. You know, he, he was undersized. You know, he was young. He didn't have great protection necessarily. And him had lost some guys like Miles Garrett, uh, Deshaun Hall, who went on and both of whom went on playing the NFL. Of course, uh, Garrett's with the uh, Cleveland Browns, one of the best defensive ends in, in all of the NFL. So he didn't quite have the protection he did in, 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 during the 2017 season, didn't have the size that he would later on. 2018, he moves in more of a reserve role, starts the bowl game that year. When uh, Atero Laka, who is one of, one of A&M's starting linebackers, goes down, he steps in, uh, plays very well in the in the Gator Bowl versus uh, NC State. Then in 2019, it's his it, it's it's his job, Mike linebacker. And you're talking about a guy who gradually got bigger during again. He starts out at 200 pounds, leaves he. He's listed at 240, I think, at one point, 235, maybe 240 at one point during his career. Uh, combine, uh, uh, pro day, he's weighs in at 230 pounds. Gradually adds mass, doesn't really, but it doesn't really slow himself down. He, he's fanatical about staying in shape, about getting bigger, but maintaining that speed. He's also fanatical, like Dan Moore, about getting better in terms of learning his craft, learning how to play off his blocks. He's, he's got that SEC C-gap to C-gap kind of body so they can step up, take on blockers, shed them, or stalemate runners in, in the A and B gaps. He's also a guy who learn how to read blocks. He got better over time so that when – and A&M's defensive line also got better over time. You know, A&M had a couple of NFL draft choices in 2018, Kingsley Kiki and uh, Dalen Mack providing protection for those guys. 2019, uh, they had guys like Bobby Brown who was drafted uh, by the uh, Los Angeles Rams in this draft. You know, he, he start, you start getting some guys in there, Jaden Peavy, who is the other starting defensive tackle, 6'6", 295. Brown's 325 pounds. In fact, A&M's kind of stacked nose tackles under Jimbo Fisher where they had four guys listed at the position this year that were all 325-plus. So he's starting to get protection. He's starting not have to take those blockers on at the second level because they're too busy dealing with, with the defensive tackles and defensive ends that A&M has. He's able. He's learned. He's learned how to shed blocks. He's learned how to read blocks. He's learned how to, you know, maintain his run fits. Be where he's supposed to be. But he reads those blocks. And when those gaps open up, do the blocking because they're trying to deal with the defensive lineman. He learns to shoot those gaps. He got much much better at uh, playing downhill, getting tackles for loss, 
if I remember correctly, led A&M in, in total tackles his two years. Not only that, he was the guy that always put, a, put it upon himself to make everybody else better around him. Uh, you know, he even though he wasn't, you know, by the time he his last year at A&M, he's not a guy who's he's more of a sec Mike than he is. Let's say a will who's, who's going to be hanging out more in space. Nonetheless, he was a very, very good run uh, line, run defense linebacker, but he made everybody else better around him. He got everybody else dedicated to learn, you know, getting in the weight room during the off season, making themselves better. He's sacrificial. You know, he said, Hey, whatever I've got to do to make the people around me better. If I have to do something so the other linebacker can make a stop, that's great. He made a couple of really big plays. Uh, junior year, Ole Miss turns that game around, 62 yard fumble return for a TD. That kind of turn, you know, that game too, that was a game that came in the middle of the season. AM was three and three, just lost to Alabama. Uh, they wind up eight and five. And even though they were unranked, that was a game, Ole Miss game in Oxford could have go, gone either way. Johnson picks up the ball, goes 62 yards with it for a touchdown. SEC Defensive Player of the Week due to his efforts. As a senior, he had the big fumble recovery on Florida's last possession. They're driving to set up A&M's game-winning drive. That not only turned around A&M's 2020 season, so to speak, especially after the loss they had the week before to Alabama, but it also – well, it turned around that game, turned around A&M season. They win eight straight games after that. And even though Johnson never got the type of postseason recognition that even Dan Moore did or a lot of the other guys did, everybody knew that A&M's run defense, by the way, I think they ranked second in the SEC in run defense behind Georgia. That run defense was keyed by Buddy Johnson, who got everybody lined up, did his job, and made sure that, hey, look, when I've got to make plays, C-gap to C-gap, I'm going to be able to do it, especially in terms of his run fits. Just a very disciplined guy who who plays physical, plays downhill. As a When he is in pass defense, um, is he a guy who you're, you're going to man up on a, on a running back or a tight end, or is, is he a guy that thrives more in zone where he's, you know, reading and reacting to, to what's going on around him? He's probably better in zone at this point. You know, most guys these days, most defenses these days uh, with the linebackers, nickel personnel, they're going to, you know, everybody plays a version of that uh, man-match type of coverages that uh, Jimmy Johnson uh, brought, into. you know, he popularized at, at Miami, brought into the NFL with the Cowboys. Nick Saban's really popularized it at the college level with, with a little different look than what uh, Johnson used. So he's a guy that if you sit there and go, if he could read his route, if he can read those routes and understand where the receivers are going, he can he, not necessarily going to get the jump on those guys, but he's at least going to be in the area and be, be a deterrent. Uh, you're, one problem is, is that uh, especially teams like Florida, for example, they, they got really good at running things like shallow cross and a lot of other teams do too, but Florida really ran shallow cross well in that game against A&M. What they would do is they would sit there and catch the attention of the other linebacker, and then they'd sit there and bring another guy across. Well, Johnson's not, you know, the other guy's not where he needs to be. Somebody else isn't where they need to be. And all of a sudden, Johnson 
is, the guy has an advantage. Johnson's chasing, and it's not necessarily because he screwed up. It's just simply because someone else out there wasn't exactly doing what they needed to do. He's a guy that, again, if you he's going to understand route combinations. He's going to understand if this slot goes over here, then this guy is going to come into the vacate area. And so I need to be, you know, I need to wait for him. Or maybe if the slot goes somewhere, hey, look, I need to go with them as well. His situ, you know, his his athleticism isn't ideal for pass coverage on the one hand, but on the other hand, I will say this. He did work very hard at it. He got better, like Dan Moore did. He got better at it during his time at AM. And he was really good at his pro day in terms of the agility drills, his 40 time, which shows that maybe if he, you know, I think he got down to 229 pounds uh, for pro day, that if you maybe get him down a little bit in terms of his mass, that he might have a little more agility, a little more speed, and be able to maybe make more plays in that regard than what you saw at AM. Uh, last question for you here, Jeff. Um, do you think uh, Buddy Johnson can be in every down type of linebacker, or is he someone better suited to be a, a sub-package type guy? What's his ideal role in the next level? I, I think it's kind of a wait and see. I think we're, you know, we're sitting there looking at Dan Moore going, hey, look, let's wait and see in terms of how he develops, you know, where he's at in a year or two perhaps, whether or not he's a guard or a tackle. Again, he was able to play tackle at AM. Most people think he'll be able to play tackle at the next level. He might wind up being a guy who, who's kind of a utility guy, able to play up and down the line. I think the same kind of holds true for Buddy Johnson. I think we're going to need a year of him being in the league, seeing where his ideal size-speed combination is for today's NFL offenses and where he needs to be from a, from a weight standpoint in order to make himself the best player he can be. Does he because is is it going to best serve the Steelers' purposes if he's a two-down backer or if he's a three-down backer? Again, I think that's a wait and see scenario. I think let's give him a year. Let's see where everything shakes out. I think one way or the other, definitely early on, he's going to be a guy that contributes on special teams. He's going to be a guy that you can plug in in the middle of your run defense on early downs. And eventually you're going to figure out how good of a, you know, if he's someone that you can leave out there on the field on passing downs as well and become that true three down linebacker that everybody hopes he can be. Uh, Jeff Tarpley, thank you so much for your time. Of course, 24 uh, seven sports. Is there anything you want to plug on your way out? Hey, join us at gigum247.com. Uh, we're into the off season right now, but, uh, recruiting is, is kind of 24 seven as far as college football goes these days. Uh, A&M's about to start having on-campus visitors for the first time in a long time. We're through all that. NCA starting to allow those guys during the summer. On-campus camps are coming in. Things are a little different now as far as college football recruiting. You can evaluate kids on campus even. So we're going to have a big big June in terms of covering all that. And, of course, I'll be around to talk about those guys, the guys that A&M you know, gets commitments from, the guys A&M's targeting, about what they bring to the table in terms of what A&M does schematically in terms of the rest of their personnel. And I also have daily profiles going up, lengthy daily profiles, on what everybody, just about everybody on A&M's roster brings to the table as, hey, look, you know, for A&M football, it's a big time. Uh, you're, you're talking about a program that hasn't had a lot of big success other than, let's say, uh, recently with Johnny Manziel. 
Now you're talking about a program that's definitely in the top 10, uh, probably on the cusp of the top five. And as Jimbo fit, you know, Jimbo Fisher talked big about uh, Nick Saban and Alabama. You know, that's the game of the year, October 9th. And we're already getting people talking about that. So, hey, join us for all that. We'd love to have you. Awesome. Excellent analysis, Jeff. Thank you so much for your time. Once again, we, we had a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, our pleasure. Um, so for everyone listening on the uh, podcast platform side, you can go ahead and click over to part two now. Um, as for everyone uh, still joining us on YouTube and Facebook, just hang tight. Uh, Jeffrey and I will uh, continue on uh, after our little momentary break here, uh, breaking down the Steelers uh, beginning OTAs and uh, what it means uh, moving forward. So just a couple seconds. We will be right back. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. <laughs> 